The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to episode three of NXT The Rise and Fall, a look back podcast on what is probably fast becoming one of my favorite wrestling companies, even though we're only three episodes in. Bloody loving it right now. Uh, the very much black and gold era of NXT. And joining me this week and always to review this snippet in time, I guess, this, this kind of time capsule in a way with different people performing under different names gimmicks characters i suppose is the always entertaining always heat seeking joshua goodwin how are we doing my friend yeah doing really well thanks si. how are you yeah not bad mate not bad not too bad at all uh this episode here of nxt is episode three as i mentioned of our look back so the from the start of the full sale black and gold era i suppose uh, it first aired on the 4th of july 2012 and i think this is probably the most eventful episode in our short run we've seen yet it's it's coming together isn't it yeah slowly but surely we're getting we're getting bits and pieces more and more stuff yeah definitely now. Definitely. I mean, I'll be honest, there's a couple of things I want to touch upon before we actually get into the episode properly that sort of came to me as I was watching. But if I bring them up now, it means I won't forget. Um, first of all, no titles yet. NXT no. has no championships. No, no, you know, Obviously, the NXT title is you know a, a big established championship now. The NXT women's title is uh, hugely prestigious with regards to the talent that have held it and where they've gone on to. And the NXT tag titles as well. You've had some absolute barnstormers through the years, and it's almost like NXT for quite a while 
was, I suppose, the safe place for tag wrestling in a way, if I'm wording that correctly. Whereas the main roster, it kind of was a bit hit and miss and so on. NXT very much promoted tag wrestling. But we've got no titles as yet. How do you think that affects the product in these really, really early days? Because to me, they're talking about people trying to you know, win their matches and somebody gets mentioned earlier on about he's trying to achieve domination and so on. But it almost feels like now, even though we're only three weeks in, there's no actual end game to where they're going, maybe? Or is that me just being a little bit over-picky? I mean, I can see where you're coming from. I think baby steps. I do think that was the big problem that they had with um, NXT Redemption, which was the thing that preceded this. In that It okay. was sort of the NXT show, but it didn't have an end game. Like, it was... It was just they were there and it was cycling. And as you said, they didn't really have anything to strive towards. I guess now, at least uh, JR's mentioned it a few times on commentary, like that the goal at the moment is to get out. And that, right. you know, when you impress at NXT, you'll get your shot at the main roster. Um, that being said, like, you know, watch and wait. I don't think it's. Uh, that long till we uh because i think as well you need to lay those foundations and i think that's what they've been doing the last few weeks they've been introducing characters i think on this episode we start to see a few rivalries starting to like work their way in and uh yeah yeah i i do think as well with uh titles you can you can rush things and i i feel like you know we've got a decent you know we're just we're just setting the tone we're just setting the tone at the minute Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And on the on the topic of, of titles as well, I mean, I tend to find that there's two sets of uh, two groups of mindset, I suppose, with regards to championships in professional wrestling. One being that your world title is the be all and end all. Everyone in the company should be trying to win the world title. That makes it important, and that means when somebody wins it that they become more important and, and all that that sort of old school kind of methodology i suppose to so the world title being the most important aspect of your television show your company your your live events whatever and then we get the the other way of looking at things i suppose i mean bruce pritchard on his podcast says quite often as uh, this sort of aspect the titles are just a prop now I I lean, I think, more towards the first statement in my mind, but I'm very much of an old wrestling mindset. For someone such as yourself, who has seen more NXT than I, probably watches more modern day stuff than I, and has also mainly been in the ring for different companies and held titles yourself, what where do you kind of stand on the importance of of, of titles and belts and championships on, on a on a national or international scale on TV, and then maybe more a sort of localized territory-esque level as well so i think both statements are true the title is a prop you don't win it you don't lose mm -hmm. it yeah um they do also carry prestige i go very much to the formula of either a title makes you or you make a title so for some you give you give a title in order to boost someone and in other cases, you give the title to a wrestler in order to boost that title, which means you then have an elevated status for that title and can then give it to someone else to potentially boost them. Because, again, it comes back to the whole, who have you beat? If yeah. that makes sense. Like, if, you, if you've beaten someone who carries no cachet, 
then you know it doesn't elevate you. So I think a, t- a title is useful in that regard. Does that answer the mm-hmm. question? Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. I mean, when you think about somebody elevating a title, my mind goes to John Cena when he won the United States Championship. Mm-hmm. Now, Cena at the time was, I suppose, uh, I suppose you could say he was just main event level. He was winning all the the world titles, main event, and the pay views and so on. And then whilst the main event picture was perhaps uh, the spotlight was elsewhere, he was he won the United States Championship and had that open challenge on TV for a couple of weeks and so on. And to me, all of a sudden the US title meant more because a name like Cena was holding it. But then I suppose the other side of the coin, Randy Orton's first title win when he beat Benoit at SummerSlam in, what would that have been, 2004, I think? 2004, like yeah. yeah. SummerSlam 2004. That's right, yeah. That, to me, made Orton feel more important because he had won the world title because of his position on the card or stature, for want of a better term. I didn't, and again, this is personal stuff. I didn't quite see him as a main event guy yet, but then he won the championship and that kind of changed that mindset. Is is that kind of back at what you're saying or have I got the wrong end of the stick there? No, I'd say so. I'd say those two very good examples, Um, especially the US title. The US title during that time sort of reminded me of the old like Jim Crockett television title. Okay. In that when it, so Cena elevated that belt and then used it to elevate other people, even in defeating them, because you watch that run of matches and everyone comes out of that better. And actually Mm. that might be something we should look at down the line, because a lot of those people who were elevated were NXT call-ups. Right. Owens was one, wasn't he? Owens was one. Zayn was one. Um, I guess Ambrose was one, but sort of he'd already had a bit of a run up there, but I guess it still counts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, it just popped away as we were watching. I thought, well, whilst, whilst uh, we're sat here and we press the red button, I'm going to pick your brains. So there we go. Anyway, this episode of NXT starts off and pretty much runs all the way through with wrestling. In previous weeks, we've seen a lot of vignettes we do get a couple here but we see a lot of vignettes a lot of interviews a lot of promos that we both agreed the promos especially doesn't they don't really say anything of note or anything that's memorable but they're, they're giving people an opportunity to talk and so on whereas here it seems to lean a lot more towards actual in-ring wrestling throughout the whole duration of the episode doesn't it yeah yeah i can uh, i agree with that it's again the last two weeks, I feel like we've been establishing people. As you said, the promos have been there. They've not necessarily said anything. But then if you've ever t- tried to just talk about yourself, it's like writing a CV. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, which, again, I think is why we've just heard a bit of waffle. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just the next step. Like, we've got some established people now. There's folks today that you recognize. And we're going to have some more people established. But, as you said, through more sort of in-ring action. Um but yeah, I think, you know, the, the building blocks are there. The foundations are being laid and we've got a, a heck of a way to go. But I think, you know, strong, strong start. Yes, definitely. Uh, we get a ladies contest to open the show, which is the first oh, time we've seen. Sigh. Sigh. We get a yeah. divas contest. Oh, a divas. Oh, apologies. Yes. I'm, I'm not a big sounds, fan of that reference, but which, I suppose it is accurate. It, doesn't it sound <laughs> weird? Doesn't it oh. sound so strange? It's, I'll tell you what's strange. It sounds really dated anyway, mm-hmm. which is going to. I mean, this is 10-odd years ago, and the Divas era is very much uh, 
of its time and in the past, I suppose, is a way of looking at it. But mm-hmm. it felt weirder with it being in an NXT ring. Yeah. If this was say yeah. if this was say we were looking back on a WWE pay-per-view or an episode of I don't know Raw or something, and they referred to a Divas match, I think I'd accept that a little bit easier. But this felt weirder. Yeah, yeah, I can see. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Again, it was during a period of time when the divas were just that. They were divas. I mean, you know, it was it was still a period of time when, you know, the higher-ups were uh, not necessarily looking at wrestling talent in their females. They were looking at your ability to uh, look on how, how nice you look on a poster you know, or, yes. or how, how many downloads you'd get. Mm, indeed. And indeed. Start, as you say, starting to come around some of the... Uh, Individuals in this contest are uh, examples of that, where their wrestling talent shines through. Exactly. And, and, and the first Divas contest, I guess, that we, we see on our NXT look back. Is, well, we get the entrance, first of all, of one of the competitors, uh, Sophia Cortez. Now, that I'm was... unfamiliar with who this is. Uh, so am I. haven't seen her before okay. since. I've been in the IDENTS. I imagine she'll come up more as the weeks go on, but nope, can't say yeah. as I heard of her. But her opponent getting what Scottish Danny refers to as the jobber entrance, which is no yeah, entrance already, at all. already in the <laughs> ring. Yeah, already in the ring is is Paige. Uh-huh. And, and it's like, oh, right, okay, fair enough. And my goodness, I mean, obviously, time has passed, of course, and it's natural. Everyone always does look younger in the past. But how young does Paige look here? I mean, she must be, oh, I'm, I'm assuming, in her very early 20s. I'm assuming. I don't I know think... her date of birth. So yeah, sorry. I think she was twenty. Right. Okay. But she oh. looks like she could even pass herself off as much younger than that. To be fair. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. such a such a little baby face. In yeah. Oh yeah. That's that's per- yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, but she stands out straight away for me. And I remember seeing Paige on her. I suppose her main her main roster debut might have been the first time I saw her properly. Mm-hmm. But I would have seen clips for an NXT or maybe certain back and so on. She stands out straight away, doesn't she? Because you have, and if anything I say here comes across uh, a sexist or chauvinistic in any way, I, I apologize. It's not my intention, but I'm just struggling to find the words. You have very much a a cookie cutter kind of uh, almost production line system to ladies in the WWE at this time. Blonde hair, trim body, big boobs. Simple as that. That's that's kind of what a lot of them are expected to, uh, or, or they or they are they do look like. It's it's very much by design at the time. Yeah, it's very much that's what they're looking for. Um, there's a reason she was called the anti diva because mm. she was the opposite of like what they were looking for. I don't think that she would have gotten the opportunity that she did, and albeit that you know she's definitely not the person that they're looking as going, this is the one in this yes. match. And I don't think she'd have even gotten that had she not already been like probably one of the better workers in the company. I don't think that's necessarily hyperbole. And no, I think the thing with this match is first off, it's, it's not great. It's scrappy. It's a little bit, you know, that then they're, they're not, they don't quite have the chemistry, I'd say. Also, mm-hmm. it's blink and you'd miss it. And I remember thinking, this really isn't very good. But then you look at the 
benchmark of the time. And it's like, well, this match got three minutes. It wasn't necessarily the best. It was still probably on par with the wrestling, with Divas wrestling of the time. As, as, as a direct comparison, I suppose, in 2012 then, some of the names that were holding the the Divas title, I suppose, as it would have been on the main roster, were you had mm-hmm. Nikki Bella, uh, Layla, Eve Torres, Caitlin, AJ Lee, which I suppose... I mean, she was. I, I always put AJ Lee as, as a smidge above the kind I, of. I, I think the, the she was before her time. I yeah. think she was before her time, essentially. Like, yeah, I agree. Within that women's revolution, would have been. Oh, would have been awesome. Oh, without a doubt. And, and then obviously, Paige makes her main show, main roster debut, and eventually dethrones AJ, one of AJ Lee's reigns. But that kind of. Bella Twins, Layla, and then as as you mentioned, you know, f- multi-person matches, bikini contests, and so on. I think you've got a really good point in that. Yes, this doesn't. This match we're looking at here doesn't. I suppose it's not going to be one of those that sticks in the mind and I go and revisit again and again because it's it, it's so stellar. But however, in comparison to what we were watching, I completely agree with you. This is a level above. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's at the very least it's it doesn't stand out as being especially bad for the time. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Something that does stand out though, as we said, is Paige. And mm. I think you can see that this Sophia Cortez, they've got maybe some, some eyes on with the entrance and the fact that she wins the contest, but I couldn't help, but think the ending of the match where we have this kind of, it's, it's, like, it's like a crazy counter into a DDT and the way Paige mm-hmm. sells that stood out to me. That was my lasting memory from the contest. Not necessarily, you know, the winner or how the win occurred, but Paige's sell to the, the DDT finish kind of stood out to me. Sells it. And also the way that she did a lot of the work for it. Mm-hmm. She, yes. she dragged Sophia Cortez around into that DDT. It was, uh, it wasn't pretty. I mean, she helped her on a few occasions. One that stands out was, uh, how when she was getting back in the ring, it was clear that Cortez was maybe supposed to give her a shot and Paige moved with all the uh, pace of a glacial drift in order to, uh, you know, give her the opportunity <laughs> to give her that shot. Jeez, it was, uh, yeah, it was quite clear in my mind that Paige was helping out a lot. Mm. And with regards to that then, I mean, Paige, obviously, we're familiar with her background or all majority wrestling fans will be familiar with her background. I mean, it's mentioned on commentary as well about her mom and dad in England. And she started training when she was 13 and all this sort of stuff. Does that sort of thing literally just come with in ring minutes? Does it come with experience or can you be a natural or is it a combination of both? I mean, in my head, I'm thinking anything that I get good at, I've got to do over and over and over again. Is that very much the same aspect for when you're in the ring? It can be. Um, effort will always trump talent, but some people are just good at this. Some right, people okay. just knack for stuff. Like um, referring to myself, I was always quite good at bumping. I was always quite good at selling. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm like the very best and that I don't have to work at it, but it was something I always had a knack for. And some people will just have a knack for things. And... Mm-hmm. With her immersion into it, 
got to assume that a lot of these things will come just through osmosis, just watching and being in those classrooms and like, you know, listening to people before she's taken a bump or done any of it. Again, if you watch enough of this, there's, you get an idea of what this is supposed to look like as right. well. And that will help a lot as well. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, we can get a little video package telling us that Cassius Ono is to debut tonight. So that's yes. going to be something to look forward to. I mean, uh, my my thoughts on Ono are this era, I don't remember a lot of, but I remember him being a bigger guy who wore a top to the ring. So I was a bit surprised when we see him later on, but I'm sure we'll come to that anyway. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> He was much more trim at this time. I, I assume that was, uh, again, another WWE directive. I'm sure he didn't need to be told, you know, we we look a certain way. Um, yes. But, yeah, his whole thing, again, as we've said before, they say not a lot in those minutes, but his general thing was, I like to hurt people. And yeah. that on its own still works as a thing. You You get you get a good idea of his character just from that sentence, to be honest. No, I totally agree. I totally get you. Um, okay. Our next contest is Seth Rollins, who, again, comes out to me looking like an absolute star. You know, obviously, we've got the power of hindsight. We can see where he ends up and so on. But I think he's already a cut above some of the people we're seeing on these early shows. And he is wrestling a guy called Camacho. And he is accompanied by his friend, partner, whatever hunico now i had to look both of these guys up and i was like no that blew my mind because hunico and camacho went on to be sinkara and also tangaloa in new japan and the gorillas of destiny and all that and i was just like no i didn't i, I wouldn't have if I, I could have watched this whole match this whole show and never twigged mm-hmm. well um i think hunico was brought in as evil Sin Cara. And right. then they decided the original Sin Cara was Naf because he just didn't necessarily <laughs> fit in. That's, that, that, he, he had a reputation. He did. Um, and so they sacked him off and then they got evil Sin Cara to be actual Sin Cara again. And he was there for a decent amount of time. I think he's in AAA now. I believe he wrestles as the gold yeah. ribbon, which sounds much better in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, man, I, I don't speak Spanish, but I can assume you're right. That does... <laughs> and in terms of Camacho, um, Tangaloa, he was just so wasted mm-hmm. doing this. Again, as you said, he's, he's another second generation guy. Daddy's Haku. Um, you you just watch this match, and he's just he's so good. Like both, like Rollins is good as well. Like I ragged on Rollins in the last appearance. Because eh, it just, eh. but I think this really gave us a much better idea of what Rollins is capable of, of what he can do. And again, in my mind, Camacho just wasted like such a good talent and they did zero with him. Which again, surprises me a little bit because we, we've touched upon it already a couple of times on, on this episode, but especially at this time, WWE had a certain style or format to how they expected people to look and you look at camacho here i would have thought he'd have ticked quite a few of the boxes that they would have been looking for before the bells even rang just looking at the guy if if you know what i mean 
absolutely. He was a big, raw bone kind of guy, and he he looked good. He he's a good looking guy as well for mm-hmm. a, you know a fella who um you know they they like to, to make their movies and such. You'd have thought he might tick a few more boxes. I yeah. I think he didn't necessarily get saddled with what I would consider a bad gimmick, but it wasn't ever going to be main event. He's a Samoan fella playing a Mexican in 2012. I'm not sure. It, it just yeah. didn't have legs. It didn't have legs. I don't think it would, uh, it would last. But again, like looking at his work, like this match, it was, it was a good example of how you can get both guys over. Cause Camacho, like he dominated the contest without killing off Seth, which again speaks to both of them. Um, ultimately it's clear that they have plans for Seth. And so like the match, you know, it slowly built. He had the comeback. Hunico tried to get involved towards the end and that was thwarted again, making Seth look good. And the other note that I had is that is how you do a curb stomp. So I'm going to yes. blame Jiro for last week because that, that to me, that's <laughs> like, okay, that's what it's supposed to look like and is pretty yeah. consistently how it's looked since. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, there was also a, uh, a back suplex by Camacho here on Seth Rollins. And one thing that I noticed is like, it was very central in the ring. They both hit the ring at the same time. Rollins banked like three foot up in the air from this <laughs> suplex. It looked amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just, it just hits just right and you go, the doing. I think I remember Brock Lesnar being quite good at that one as a general rule. Like, yeah. He'd take a choke slam and he'd go almost as high as when he was lifted. Is that the term yeah. that you're taught in wrestling school, Bedoin? Bedoin, yeah, yeah. That was definitely <laughs> the one that, uh, that I was taught was Bedoin. You've got to put some Bedoin on it. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> uh, like you say, Rollins wins with the stomp and we then get both people on, on the opposite side of the ring, I guess, from the opposite corner. Uh, attacking him and Bo Dallas makes the save, which is interesting mm-hmm. because that's sort of, I suppose they're building little, uh, I suppose, friendships, allegiances, or it's just a case of these two are both good guys, so they will yeah. also side together. But it's a little bit more development to what we had, isn't it? Yeah, I think again, it, first off, it just reminded me of being like back on a camp show where you have the, the other good guy run out and make the save to set up the main event. Um, okay, yep, but um. Yeah, I think clearly Seth is being built as like, you know, he's a main event babyface. Bo is being built as a main event babyface. So it makes sense that they would run out and make the save. Um, and yeah, as you said, I think it's building up those alliances, building up those allegiances and just testing the water on things. Because when you do something like that, especially with a show, you can sort of, you know, you can see if things are going to develop and then you've got, Easy, easy ways to tell stories, essentially, because then from there you can go on, you can have a tag match, you can have maybe Bo and Seth do something because maybe Seth isn't so keen on the whole idea of being saved. Uh, it wasn't what they did here, but again, it's just it's opportunities to tell stories, and I think again, it was a very good, uh, very good, very simple way to tell a story. Hmm. It gives you plenty of options, doesn't it? I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, uh, we then get our our next contest, which is a tag match. And this is something that I touched upon uh, very early on with regards to Corey Graves. I've not seen the guy wrestle before, but I could have sworn I had. But when he came out, I was like, oh, no, this is all new to me. This is completely new to me. (laughs) Uh, And Corey Graves is tagging with Jake Carter, who Mm. we find out is Big Van Vader's son. Son of Vader. I wonder what happened to him. 
I guess we'll find out. Well, I, I looked it up to see oh, where, where this guy was from now. And basically, he's within a year, 18 months, he's retired. Uh, okay. But I don't know as to why. Uh, he was also an American football player for quite a while, similar to his father, I guess. Um, and he had mm-hmm. to knock that on the head because of injuries. And that's why he kind of went into wrestling. So I wonder if there was some issues there. But as you say, uh, Joshua, we're going to find out more about that as the weeks and months pass, mm-hmm. I suppose. They're wrestling the combination of Nick Rogers and CJ Parker, who we saw CJ Parker last week, didn't we? Uh, Nick Rogers, I'm not familiar with. Nope, can't say as I am either. Which is good because I like seeing people that we've not seen before and wondering do they end up anywhere or they just disappear and then we can look into why, which I think is a brilliant aspect of this show, to be fair. It is um, something that is somewhat unique, I think, to uh, the NXT to be able to look at the people who succeeded and the people who didn't succeed so much. Maybe he might be selling used cars now. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny how people sort of wind up doing different jobs, isn't it? I mean, Rick Steiner, I think, is involved in uh, his local school council now. Can you imagine that turning up and one of the school governors is Rick Steiner? (laughs) Wow. Do you think he wears the headgear and stuff? Oh, I hope so. (laughs) With with, with the 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 WWE jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I really hope that is what he wears, yeah. Um, and he still runs around his office making barking noises. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I want my kids to go there. Um, <laughs> we There's not much in this contest, to be fair. It's one of those that I suppose is similar to previous week's matches in that it, it begins you know, a bit of back and forth, a couple of h- higher spots, I suppose, and then the finish, which is fine because we're building Graves and Carter, I suppose, as this tag team to go forward. Uh, one note I have got here, though, is that Corey Graves takes a backdrop and... I'm amazed he didn't come down with ice or snow on him where he was so high. That was, was a high the... backdrop, wasn't it? Was it the backdrop? For me, it was the reverse monkey flip. He went into orbit on that one. Uh, okay, okay. There's definitely a backdrop. The monkey flip as well was very high as well. Yeah, the guy just bumped around. Yeah, it's definitely something that he uh, he was definitely flying about a little bit in the uh, rare occasions when he wasn't on his feet dealing out punishment. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So what we, we commented on in the Ascension matches we've seen so far is the the finish they use being more the uh, sum of two parts as opposed to one complete move, I guess. Two sort of, you know, two moves that follow on from each other. Whereas whereas this match here, we do see, I suppose, a proper, uh, a proper tag team finish, I suppose, for want of a better phrase. Yeah. Refer to as the bottoms up. Mm-hmm. Water wheel neck breaker is what I know it as. Okay, right. Uh, it's it's almost like the, the opponent's in the position of almost like a, a, a sort of British Bulldog or Braun Strowman-esque power slam, I guess. And then the other guy effectively slides or jumps quite low to hit a netbreaker. Now, the first time I watched that, I was like, okay, that's quite cool. I put it back hmm. a couple of seconds on the network, watched it again, and I was like, well, actually, that's that takes some timing. That's that's really impressive. Well, as a tag team guy or somebody who's been been involved in tag teams a great deal, how does this rate to you with regards to a, a tag finish? Yeah, it's probably, especially doing it from the run is trickier. I'm pretty sure that Sanity will use it years later, but they do it standing, um, okay. so, which obviously removes a degree of difficulty. It's um, it's probably not too bad. Into, like, There's not a massive degree of risk, I don't think. 
Um, but yeah, it wasn't really uh, wasn't really Nick Rogers' day, was it? You know, tags no. in, he's all ready to clear house, and then now nah, we're just going to hit you with our finish. Bye bye. Yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take your check and go home, son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. That sort of message, isn't it? I guess. <laughs> Uh, we get then a couple of, I suppose, the, the vignettes, video packages that w- we've become accustomed to in recent weeks. We have one, first of all, talking about the knockout artist, Cassius Ono, and a yes. video package of him there, which, again, because we know he's coming up on the show, probably piqued my interest more than if it was just a vignette, say, last week or whatever, without him actually wrestling. Mm-hmm. But the one that really got me was the one that followed. It's another Bray Wyatt vignette. There's creepy dolls' heads. There's people in a forest who are just sitting around looking. You know, there's people like led in trees, looking a bit out of it. And we're, I suppose we're we're hinting at the whole drug culture of certain cults in the past. We're pressing those buttons. We're actually saying the words. And Wyatt's talking about they can't hurt him. Run, and then it comes up Bray Wyatt next week. This oh, is. Yeah. Oh, why? Can't this wait. Is so good. It is brilliant. I love Bray Wyatt. I love this this iteration of Bray Wyatt. It's say there's a lot of intrigue and a lot of interest. He's a very unique character. I uh, just can't get enough of it. Can't wait. Mm. Can't wait. Come on, Bray. Go get him. Absolutely super. I mean, my one thing is, if you lived in a swamp like that, would you really be go walking around in? trousers that white you're just asking for a washing issue there i think but that's the only here nor there yes great gray wire definitely sponsored by daz at this point yeah <laughs> yeah 100 uh we then have cassius ono's debut and he is facing somebody else we've already seen on our watchback mike dalton who of course becomes tyler breeze and mm-hmm. i like what jim ross does here from a commentary standpoint because all the promotion we've seen so far has been about Cassius Ono and rightfully so they see something in the guy. So they're building him up. We've had two moments on the show referencing him already. JR calling him a knockout artist. And then he gets the entrance as well. Whilst Dalton is ready in the ring. But the very first thing Jim Ross does on commentary is talk about Mike Dalton, talk about his pedigree, where he trained Lance storm training him and so on. Now in my mindset, I'm thinking that is brilliant because they're making Mike Dalton somebody to beat as opposed to just a guy in the ring that Ono is going to run over. All of a sudden, Ono has defeated somebody who has a bit of a background, somebody we know something about rather than nameless guy number one, I suppose. Does that does that make sense? Is that what Jim, Jim Ross is trying to achieve here? Absolutely. Not only Jim Ross, but Ono himself. Because you watch this map and... Mike Dalton gets a lot of offense, a lot of offense early. In my opinion, maybe a little bit too much, but okay. he, he's definitely made to look a threat before Ono beats him. But then thinking back, Cassius Ono was one of the guys, I'd say, along with maybe Richie Steamboat, um, Seth Rollins, guys who'd come, who'd had a bit of uh, experience from the Indies. And so maybe came in with a bit more buzz. So, I think that there were probably a few more people who'd have heard of Chris Hero and therefore had heard of Cassius Ono. And so, you know, maybe he, he wasn't coming in with an entirely clean clean slate. So he could afford to give a little more to Dalton and then still put him away and it look impressive. 
Yeah, I get you. I, I, you're right. Dalton does start well. He's, he's, he seems very quick in comparison to his opponent early on. And he actually gets the first pin attempt in of the match as well. Uh, but the way the way Cassiusono takes control, I really liked because it's it's one of those things to me in, in pro wrestling. I like all the flashy moves. I like all the stuff Omega and the Bucks do, even though sometimes it's quite unrealistic, shall we say. But I, I admire the athleticism. But sometimes I just like something really simple and straightforward that just makes bloody sense. And here we have Dalton with a sort of a go-behind and a waistlock attempt on his opponent. And we've seen it quite a few times in the past, haven't we, where the guy in the front of that situation, in this case, Ono, they will run towards the ropes and you end up with almost like a roll-up bouncing off the ropes or the the guy at the front will hold on to the ropes and his opponent will just roll back on their own. Mm-hmm. This situation, Ono almost basically ducks down and sends Mike Dalton's neck, throat area into the top rope. And I thought that is just so simple and straightforward. But how bloody brilliantly realistic was that? Absolutely. I, I wrote down two words for Cassius Ono, and that was simple, effective. Because everything right. he did was simple. Like that, that kind of, it's not, it sounds a bit like I'm putting him down to say that everything he did was simple, but everything he did was, you know, it was technically crisp. It wasn't just clubbing the guy like, uh, and like he's some big monster. Everything was precise. Everything was crisp, but everything was simple. It was strikes. It was like big kicks, big strikes, and just, but everything was on point. It was simple. It was effective. He looked like a capable pro wrestler. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, pretty much what you want. And then, ooh, that, that discus elbow at the end. Yeah. Yeah, that looked amazing. And again, it backs up, I suppose, the pretense that we had from Jim Ross of he is a knockout artist. Boom, knocks his opponent out. Yeah. So so big. simple. And again, the, the promo afterwards as well. He's there saying, you know, it's such a simple promo. And he doesn't speak for long, but he literally says, I'm Cassius Ono. I knock people out. And that's stuck in my mind more than what the majority of other people have said on interviews already. Well, you can fill, you can, you can put too much in a promo as well. If you keep it simple... If you just, as you said, he said, this is my name. This is what I do. That then mm-hmm. stays in your You don't need to worry about the rest. I must admit, I did not care for the fact that his surname is a punchline. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. Didn't care for that myself. But at the same time, you could argue it's memorable. Well, yeah. And there's a moment in the match as well when he, he sort of runs in and delivers like a, a big forearm into the corner where he stands on the opposite corner and almost Stinger Splash-esque, I suppose. And he shouts, oh no, with a hand gesture, which I'm assuming they want to catch on with the crowd so that they start participating in with it. And when those things happen and when they take off, they are quite cool because that's what you want, the crowd getting involved and so on. But when you're just starting to set them up, it doesn't quite have the same feeling, does it? <laughs> it's it's a difficult one because you do kind of have to stick with things if you want mm-hmm. them to take. And it not in any way the same thing, but I'm reminded of something like the people's elbow, where you got to imagine the first time you saw that, you were like, that's naff. Yeah. But then you just, you get, again, you get stuff over to uh, use the terminology. Yeah. And it's just, it's repetition and it's seeing it 
and it's experiencing it and then from there you know you just it becomes part of the deal i guess mm. yeah yeah very true uh, our next match is Derek bateman who we have seen a few times already on our very brief watch back here and here i think this is the first time i'm really starting to see okay we're getting well maybe not the first time we see it but the first time i'm aware of it then potentially i, I picked up a bit slowly I'm really starting to understand who is who now. I know Derek Bateman is supposed to be a good guy that we all like. He's We're supposed to cheer for him. He's a nice fella. That's kind of what I'm getting from that. And it carries on in the main event in a moment as well, which we'll come to shortly. Um, I know Jinder Mahal is a bit of a bastard. We're not supposed to like this guy. That's I'm, so, I'm starting to get those feelings about different people and so on. And... That, I think, really helps with this match because, obviously, we know we're not supposed to like Jinder, but I'm already starting to think, okay, Derek Bateman, good guy. I, I kind of want him to do all right. So th that probably helps with what we saw next, potentially, Joshua. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think the battle lines already being drawn, you know, having someone to like, having some someone to dislike. To go back, actually, to the Divas contest, I think that's one of the things that really hurt it was that there wasn't a clear good guy bad guy dynamic in that like you pull for page with hindsight but i think looking at you like i don't know if i like either of these people because they were both kind of acting sort of ambiguous but with this it's very clear i dislike jinder mahal i like Derek bateman he's a nice boy that's half the battle like more yeah. before you do any moves before you lock up you it helps to establish good guys bad guys and I feel that they did this. They've already got a little bit of context, but even so, it's very clear who's uh, who's who. Yeah. Okay. I, I think that kind of uncertainty with a divas match that you pointed out. I mean, that, that didn't enter my mind, but now you're pointing it out here. You're, I think I 100% agree. It didn't help with that situation. But then you, the, the Cassius Ono Mike Dalton match. I'm not sure if Dalton is a... Oh, no, this is the first time we've seen him. So I don't know if we're supposed to like him or not yet until the promo afterwards and all this sort of stuff. Mike Dalton, we've seen a couple of times. Again, I'm not 100% sure what we're supposed to supposed to do with him, whether he's, he's a, a good guy, bad guy, however it works. And that match, I think, potentially also could have been slightly improved if we already knew which side of the line both of these guys stood, maybe? Yeah, uh, absolutely, actually. I mean, come to think of it, the only thing that we've seen Mike Dalton do so far is not help his friend when he's getting beaten up by the Ascension. Yeah. Which, you know, you can definitely argue that's a that's a bit of a dick move. Yeah, totally. Okay, um, yeah. Well, so, yeah. I can, <laughs> but no, I can... Yeah, that's definitely... Uh, it's definitely half the battle for a lot of things is going, I like this person. I dislike this person from there. You kind of, it makes everything a lot easier. Mm. Okay. I mean, again, we, we occasionally do this and we sort of deviate from our subject matter, I suppose, but things pop in my head that I, I, I think people listening will find interesting with regards to that. Then obviously on television, with regards to you know, weekly TV uh, and the exposure levels that people get at that, that that sort of standard or that sort of level, I guess they can have the vignettes, they can have the promos, they can have the commentary steering your mindset in a certain way, just by just by the the, the sort of uh, soundtrack they add to what we're watching. 
with regards to wrestling more on a local level or the holiday parks or um you know some of the the, the bigger places you've worked where potentially you're going in with or yourself your opponent and people around you are going in where some of the crowd at least may not be familiar with you before your first match for that company what do you think is more important in that scenario first of all what you do in the ring with regards to the sort of technical side of things the actual wrestling you put on or the character aspect and how easy or difficult is it to kind of get the crowd where you want them to be so that is a very good question. Um, for me, I definitely feel like establishing those characters is important. I don't think it necessarily has to be done immediately. You can have two people who just start off as wrestlers and you can tell that story as you go. That being said, for something like a holiday camp where the matches aren't necessarily that long, you don't necessarily have a wrestling savvy crowd it's much easier you just establish those characters from from the get-go so you know your match doesn't start when the bell rings it starts when you go through the curtain and so if yeah. you can establish who you are and what you are before you know the bells rung that's you know more power to you um that being said you don't you don't necessarily have to have like a defined character as much as easy as it is to just like bash the people you know you ah, shut up sit down that kind of stuff it it does work it can be a crutch and it can be an overdone or done poorly um but it's certainly a ways to go with it is it's again just establishing that character establishing whether you are likable and right. oftentimes i find if you have the bad guy set the tone if you have someone first off it's easier to make someone dislike you than is to make you like make them like you um, yep. okay. so if you can have that, that heel, that bad guy go out first and set the idea of, okay, I dislike you. And then therefore whoever comes out next, they're probably going to like him. That doesn't always work. I've had it before where I was on a show where I was a bad guy, obviously. Um, and I, the rest of the card was, I mean, there was an Italian fella, a, a French fella, and a German fella, and I was wrestling the German fella. And just by virtue of the fact that I was English and he was German, <laughs> right? You know, he he started getting booze, and it was like, okay, so we had to, you know, turn that around. I did have to turn up the being a bit of a bastard to people for them to okay. kind of get it. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Yeah, I find those little insights absolutely fascinating. Uh, I remember one occasion seeing yourself, uh, David Eaton, and, and well, the, the hitmen in general, uh, coming out oh. to a match. I believe we were watching you at, uh, I, I believe it was a, a school venue, and it was very tightly packed in, and there was a lot of people there. And you came out, and of course, everyone's booing, because a lot of the Evolution Wrestling crowd are familiar with yourselves. I stood up and started clapping, because I'm a big fan of you guys. And I remember my two youngest daughters literally physically grabbing my arms and putting them apart so I couldn't clap you as you came out. So that, I don't know why that always just pops in my head, you know, it's with regards to you know the, the, the sort of heel face dynamic and so on. So, yeah, very interesting. Um, <laughs> this match here, though, 
I suppose you can almost see it as our semi-main event, potentially, because you're getting more of a competitive contest here between the two. But... Sure. I think I think most of these contests have been fairly competitive, at least without the um without including the tag. Like everything's had a bit of back mm-hmm. and forth. But I, I definitely would agree with you that this was uh when we're not just trying to make Jinder Mahal, we're also trying to, you know, we're helping to build Derek Bateman too. But he got an entrance for a start. He got a, t- a he TV did, entrance. <laughs> he did get an entrance. That's always a good sign. With his big bopping curly poodle hair. And oh, actually, on that note as well, uh, Jinder Mahal at this stage must have the most neatly trimmed beard in the history of professional wrestling. That is trimmed it, to within a, its life, isn't it? It's impeccable. It, it is. is. Perfect. <laughs> uh, we get a good suplex with a bridge from Bateman, I suppose, quite early on. He sends Jinder to the outside as well, and then hits a sort of a dive through the ropes to Jinder. But I don't know if, like, again, this is something I'm not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue about. But I don't know whether the positioning was slightly out or whether uh, Bateman was just a little bit overzealous or over keen. But I think Jinder does a good job here to sort of catch him and steer him back because it looks like he's about to shoot straight over the top of him and do himself a mischief. To be fair. Yeah, they weren't quite on the same page with that one, I'd say. I think, yeah, I'd, I'd say Jinder was maybe a bit too close Okay. in that instance. Um, again, it's it's a tough one because if you're expecting one thing, you get another. Like, there have been there was an instance once when I was expecting someone to jump from the ring to the floor, like as a crossbody sort of a deal, um, and I was far too close to the, ap- to the apron because I was, that's what I was used to. The guy was jumping far further and I wound up getting a rather impressive bruise on the side of my head where he had crushed it against the floor. Why? <laughs> and again, um, it, uh, as Jim Ross says, it's not ballet. You know, it's <laughs> don't not. try this at home, kids. Is this is the is probably one of the most ignored warnings on television history, but it's they still put it out every week. So <laughs> Yeah, well I think the problem is they they say don't try it at home or at school. But they don't say not to try it on your trampoline. Well, a lot of places, yeah, a lot of folks they're like, yeah, let's try it on the trampoline. Um, but yeah. yeah, to answer the question, I don't, I don't know if it was especially uh, anyone's fault. It was just you know a situation where one zigged when they should have zagged. Mm. But, but again, um, the, the professionalism of these guys shows because what could have been maybe a bit, a bit of a problem was was you know avoided, I guess, by some quick thinking and and. I, I don't know if that's muscle memory or just you do that naturally because you know kind of what you're doing at the time. But yeah, I think Jinder did a good job there. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that's probably some good core strength, if nothing else. Like because he caught him almost on his shoulder and then took a few steps yeah. back, didn't really lose his balance, and then sort of you know eased them both down. Because mm. uh, yeah, if he'd have, if he'd have tripped, then that wouldn't have been a good day for Mister Bateman. No, no, definitely not. Uh, uh, we have a neckbreaker over the ropes from Jinder as well, as he kind of takes control of the match here. Now, with regards to the, the ropes in a wrestling ring, my very novice, naive mindset is that some companies use rope, some use cable. Have you worked mm-hmm. with both? And if so, what is the difference? Do you have a preference? Or is it a case of the majority use one type, so that's what you're used to? Um, so yeah, I have used both. I've used um, cable and rope. I'd say cables a lot less 
forgiving because they're normally okay. thinner and it's a lot more solid. I, if I were a promoter, I'd use cable because you never need to buy replacements. Okay, because, right, yeah. Because because it's elevator cable. No one's so heavy as they're going to break that. Right. Said so I've not I've not met anyone yet. Um, I think, and I'm I'm not an especially springy individual when it comes to my ring work, but I think definitely for cable you get much more spring. Um, to be honest, I think if the WWE weren't still using rope, I think it would be a thing of the past. But I right, think, okay. but I think folk, you know, they always copy the leader, mm-hmm. um, and WWE definitely the, you know, worldwide leader of uh, of wrestling. Um, I I personally don't understand why you would. Again, both are perfectly functional. Um, I I started off using ropes and then transitioned to working with cables. I I still, you know, depending on where you are, people have different setups and they're both fairly similar but they just take a little adjusting either way right okay i mean it's interesting when you explain it it, it that way why would anyone still be using rope you're right i get i get that 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 mindset but yeah you sort of as you said copy the main the main guy i suppose and that is the the wwe so yeah but then you think of some of the instances like not so long ago where Bobby Lashley, where the rope snapped on him mm. and he nearly, uh, you know, went down head first at a house show. I can't imagine unless there's something particularly catastrophic happening that that would take place with cable. Because mm. again, yeah. like there's, there's no one so heavy that they're going to break a cable that's designed for a, you know, a lift. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, we get, a neck breaker from Bateman as well for a close two. And then a knee to the back of the head out of nowhere, really, from Jinder, the camel clutch. And I like this as well because we've seen the camel clutch a couple of times and the tap out is relatively quick. That, to me, I think, as, as a viewer, some, uh, you're sat at home watching with, with my kids or whatever, that, to me, makes that move seem more important, more um, more a case of that's going to finish the match if the tap out comes relatively quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not only are they building characters, but building moves like mm. a submission such as that. It needs, you know, it's only as good as the, you know, the people it beats and the manner in which it beats them. So yeah, you wanna, you know, you wanna get those kind of things over, so to speak. You know, you need to establish things in the same way as, you know, you don't want anyone this early kicking out of anyone's finisher. Like it just, yeah, you know, if 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 you do that at that point, that's just a move. That's not a finisher at all. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Protecting certain moves, I think is something that's, that's really important. And sometimes gets a little bit overlooked as well. Um, we then, I suppose, get, get an announcement from the commentary team that the general manager, Dusty Rhodes, who we haven't seen since the opening show, I believe has made mm-hmm. our main event that is coming up right away. And that, that's going to be Rollins, Bo Dallas and Tyson Kidd, and they're going to face the trio of Camacho, Humiko, and Michael McGillicutty. So, again, a combination of what we've seen from the previous two or three weeks of television, I suppose. We had the Tyson Kidd McGillicutty match. So, they've still got a little bit of a rivalry going there. They're still linked, I suppose, in the eyes of the viewer. 
Rollins, uh, Seth Rollins and Bo Dallas are obviously kind of linked from what happened earlier in the show, which ties in with the Camacho Humiko stuff on the other side of the ring. So I, it makes sense to me. What threw me a little bit was the speed with which how this, how this all came together because Rollins has already wrestled Camacho on the show. To me, yep. this would have been a case when that graphic came up, I was expecting at the bottom next week. Yeah, but not, not right away. So it kind of brings me to the thing of, okay, and William Regal is, is on commentary for this match. So he's been on commentary here and there for different matches throughout the, the earlier weeks. I'm assuming all this is filmed out of order and then pieced together afterwards, maybe? I mean, it definitely appears to have been taped because if for no other reason, the very first week they had like a highlight package of footage that we would see in the coming weeks. So, right. So I think it's definitely taped. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, those matches could have been filmed back to back, but we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and there wouldn't have been any reason you couldn't do that. Um, not necessarily the kindest thing in the world, but then these guys are athletes and it's what they're paid to do. They, they could probably manage to do these two things. Again, going back to uh, you know, the old camp shows, which again is what this reminded me of. You'd definitely, you definitely, you'd have this match, you'd have a break and then you'd have that match. You'd have the tag yeah. match. So uh, it's not beyond the realms of capability. Well, okay, makes a lot of sense again. Makes a lot of sense again. Uh, the Good Guy Trio uh, all come out to Tyson Kidd's music here, which to me makes me think that they're looking at him as being a slightly bigger deal at the moment, potentially, because it's his music, maybe. I mean, he's the main roster star, right? Mm. He's the guy who's been on SmackDown and Raw, and so he ha- he's been there a little longer. And so if, if nothing else, not only are they using him as, again, the more established name, but it's almost giving that seal of approval to Bo Dallas and Seth Rollins, who, again, you think of it in 2022, and it's kind of obscene to think Tyson Kidd giving the thumbs up to Seth Rollins, at least, would be uh, <laughs> yeah. a little bit nuts. But, you know, again, it, it's, it's, that little, it's those little things that in the mind of the audience go, OK, well, Tyson Kidd thinks enough of him that he'd want to work with him. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, and the same happens with the opposition. They came out to Michael McGillicuddy's entrance music and I don't know, Titatron video package on the big screen, I suppose they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. And that, that, you know, Kid versus McGillicuddy was the main event of the first NXT. So I kind of, at the moment, very early on, get the impression that these are the two guys that are more at the forefront at this exact early stage, anyway. Yeah. Again, I think it comes back to the fact that they are more established at least in wwe like Mm -hmm. they they, they've had that you know they've had their appearances on raw and smackdown there's a very good chance that despite the fact that the uh you know Bo and seth and folks like that have have bigger names at least nowadays um at the time they probably didn't so you know you use the established guys i also think that's why they were the main event of that first show because Mm. You know, pe- people will have heard of them. Yeah, yeah. Again, makes a lot of sense. Uh, we get a gory special very early on from Humiko in this match. Yeah. I love that move. Well, we got a gory special into sort of a backslide pin that I haven't seen before or since. Mm. And then Tyson Kidd sort of did. I have. I've watched it a few times, and I still don't know quite how he did it. But like reversing it again and i was very very impressed again another guy with some impressive core strength just then i've got a note literally about that that just says tyson kidd is bloody brilliant 
that's, that's, the, that's just the general note. There's no specifics to it. That's literally my whole note. Because uh, as I said, when we went back to our first episode of, of the podcast, I've barely seen the guy work. And I'm seeing him here. And I'm thinking, why? This guy is so much better than I, A, remember from the very small amount I've seen, or B, gave him credit for. This This guy's a star, I believe. Oh, he's a he is a very good talent. It's just a shame that he never really got his break. Like, you know, he had moments, he was tag champ and that, but he never really got his due. And I I feel like some of that's gonna be due to his size, mm-hmm. especially uh then when it was still still the lingering land of the Giants. Yeah. Um and yeah, but I think NXT was a brilliant place for him. I'm sure that he was able to help out the people, you know, on the way up. Um it was a good spotlight for him. It did somewhat re- reinvigorate his career because not long after this, he does go back up and have a bit more of a run. Um, so, yeah, I think it was very good. But, yeah, so underrated. So underrated. Criminally underrated. Like, I think if he was there today, he would, again, sky's the limit. Yeah. Sky's the limit for him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, we get reminded again that Seth Rollins likes heavy metal. Because apparently that's yeah. the, the only aspect of his personality that that counts at this stage. It, it, <laughs> it was another sil- it was another silver haired uh, middle aged man's opinion of uh, young youth culture. And the other thing I remember about that was Jr. slagging Hunico for wearing his bandana. Oh yeah, uh, that that bandana. Funnily enough, it my my middle daughter Livy, who you have met at shows, she mm-hmm. lives in these bandanas now. Exactly like Humiko's in this, but she's got about ten different colours, and she kind of coordinates them with her outfit. And she, she I, I don't remember what my daughter looks like from the eyebrows to the forehead, eyebrows, <laughs> eyebrows to the hairline. Sorry, because I haven't seen it in about two years. So, Man, that, I, I, my immediate thought is that has got to lead to some interesting tan lines. Oh yeah, her, yeah. We went on holiday. She came back and she looked like a, she looked like one of those, you know, refresher suites or whatever they're called. <laughs> <laughs> um. We get told that Seth Rollins uh, is is a metal fan because he's from Iowa. So apparently nobody in Iowa likes any other form of music. But I suppose that's the Slipknot links there because Slipknot primarily come from Iowa. But yeah, there we go. That's trying to tap in to something that maybe is best left alone at times by the commentary team if they don't fully grasp maybe, it. <laughs> maybe. Again, I suppose um, it's something for, if not, you know, the commentary, but for people outside to latch mm-hmm. onto. So, you know, um, whether he's a metalhead or not, I mean, his one man mosh pit deal at the start's a little, mm. still interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, we eventually, when the match does begin, the heels kind of take control and are working over Rollins for, for quite a duration of it. Uh, mm. We do get a couple of hot tags, I suppose, as the phrase is one to sure. Dallas which eventually, you know, gets cut yes. off. His fight back gets cut off. Like, there's a mistimed elbow in there as well, isn't there? Elbow, um, remind me. I, so, I can't remember who's in the ring with him. I believe it may be Camacho, but he tries to almost duck under something. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, was gonna, I think, I believe that Camacho tweaked his knee. Oh, okay. I believe that that was what took place because, yeah, it was a little bit clumsy, wasn't it? And mm. I think that second one, yeah, Camacho didn't quite get up. And then you see later he's favouring his knee. And I think that maybe he tweaks his knee a little. And right. to be fair, they, they you know, they powered through it 
and mm. you wouldn't necessarily know that anything went wrong. Again, like the audience isn't in on your uh, on your little planning session before the match. So unless you both throw your hands up and go, "Well, this is stuffed, isn't it?" You know, you just you got to keep on trucking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it, um, they covered it pretty well. Um, there was also a point where I think Bo Dallas maybe forgot to duck a clothesline right. because McGillicuddy, you know, he favours the the in, the duck the one hit him in the back, and what sort of happened was he he hit him with the first one and then hit him with the second one. Oh yes, yes. We commented on that on a previous episode, didn't we? With the, the sort of missing with the one, then spinning back with the other arm. Yeah, you, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I know what you're referring to now. Oh yeah, I didn't even pick up on that first time round. Yeah, see, that's that's what I mean about you know you didn't you don't know it's a screw up unless mm. you know I mean at this stage I sort of see the matrix so right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the heels do take control again though uh, over Bo Dallas and eventually we get Tyson Kidd tagging in for his you know moment in in the sun I suppose his his big crowd reaction. Um, we get kid fighting off the bad guys. Then Rollins comes off the top rope to the outside with a crossbody, which mm-hmm. always looks spectacular whenever you see a guy fly around like this. But I'm not a big fan of everyone waiting underneath to to catch. But I'd rather that than somebody get injured. Sure. I mean, it was uh, it is a little contrived, and I I very very strongly dislike when people say because wrestling. Mm-hmm. Because again, like yes, it makes sense to you as a frequent viewer, but if it's your first time watching wrestling, things like that can really turn you off. Yeah. You know? And and yes, it was a very spectacular dive. And again, it was one one of those moments where I saw Camacho favor his knee. Um, I think you then had was it then Bo who did a I think it was a suicide dive there? Right. And it kind of leads to the finish as well, doesn't it? Because we we effectively get Tyson Kidd almost thinking, OK, I'm going to join him and my mates and he's going to do a, a dive of some description. And as he runs the ropes, uh, McGillicuddy comes in and hits him with a chop block, takes him out mm-hmm. to the knee and then hits a net breaker. And as his partners are being held back or, or being prevented from entering the ring, uh, McGillicuddy pins Tyson Kidd to, to, to win the match. I really enjoyed this. I thought this was a great match. You know, really, yeah. really, you know, considering there's the six guys involved and the match probably only goes, what, 10, 11 minutes? Yeah, something know, they, like that. They all get a bit in and there's a lot going on and there's no real lull in the action. And I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I think the aim of the match is definitely to make everyone look good. You know, I don't think anyone stands out as looking especially bad. Um, yeah, no complaints really at all. Again, the thing that impressed me more than anything was how they were able to keep going and how it didn't look so obscenely, you know, it didn't look so obscenely bad. Like mm. I feel like a lot of times now with modern day wrestling, you see the botches for want of a better word, and they really just flatten the momentum of something. And I don't think you had this so much. Like they were definitely able to work through a couple of wobbly moments. Um, yeah. As you said, I think everyone came out of it better than when they went in. I think, you know, they're still trying to make Rollins and Dallas look a big deal um, using more established names to do that. And I think, I think that's what they did. Yeah, no, it's a great shot. That's a great shot. 
I suppose then that's that's the end of the episode. Uh, next week we have Bray Wyatt debuting. Oh, I can't wait! Those vignettes have got me so excited, and uh, <laughs> which I suppose is the whole point. But there we go. And um, with regards to the episode we have just watched, then Joshua, we need to give it our plus points and our bad points, our pros and our cons, our glorious and our soft. There's only one word to describe you: glorious. You're soft. You're slap. So what do you want to go with this week, my friend? Do you want to go positive or negative first? You know, I think I'll start off with the negatives because it it wasn't it was a good show, in my opinion. I don't think there was anything too glaringly terrible. If I have to say that something was bad, it's it's the divas. Okay. Like again, it was it just wasn't as good a quality contest as everything else, in my opinion. I think it suffered from the fact that it didn't have a face and a heel, really, for want of a better word. Um, it didn't have very long. Like, again, I think it was about three minutes. And it was just a bit scrappy and a bit sloppy and just not quite as crisp as some of the other contests we see. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Uh, my my soft, my negative is, I don't know if this is a, a, a legit complaint or just the fact that uh, I'm getting older, and as my wife refers to it as, Motorhead took my hearing over the course of the last couple of decades. But there's a couple of sound issues on the show. Cassius Ono's mic didn't quite seem right at times. The crowd noise didn't quite seem correct. And the commentary at one point kind of fluctuated up and down. Now, again, for somebody who has ever so slight hearing issues, uh, that did affect what I was watching for me personally. Yeah, I, I gotta admit, I didn't notice them too much. I did recall that we had a bit of feedback from Cassius Ono's mic, and yeah, it was de- definitely considering you know you've got such a slick production there, you figure they could do something to edit that out, make it a little bit less jarring. Yes, yes, totally. Uh, your glorious, then, what is the best you saw on this show, or just in general, what made you smile? I think my favorite moment again you've got from the outhouse to the penthouse it's got to be seth rollins camacho right because again i i feel it was a much better way to showcase seth i feel that you got everyone else over in the match like it wasn't as if seth was made a star at the expense of camacho and hunico you know he spent a lot of time fighting but again it comes back to the whole who've you beat so Mm. He overcame adversity and he was able to, you know, stick it to them bad guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for me, I mean, the, the general pace of the show was great. It felt, it, to me, it flew by. It, it was really great, you know, the, the way it ran and so on. Uh, lots of wrestling involved, which is obviously why we're here. It says wrestling on the poster. That's what I want to see. But for me, the, the, the highlight was the main event. I really, really enjoyed that match. I really enjoyed it from bell to bell. Thought it was fantastic. So that's my my glorious moment of the week. Uh, hit, miss, or middling, my friend. What are we thinking on this episode? I think I got to consider it a hit. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, ticked a lot of boxes. Yeah. Fair enough. My, it's a definite hit for me. I'm going to stick my neck out here and say I know we're only three shows in, but this is my favorite episode so far. Yeah. I thought this was great. So it's a definite hit for me. Yeah, I can agree with that. I imagine it's going to be that way for uh, a few weeks to come because you know we've built that foundation i think the only way is up 
Yeah. As Yaz once said. Um, <laughs> do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online, my friend? And you've oh, got a Twitter now. You've got I a got Twitter. Twitter now. I got Twitter. Uh, Joshua Goodwin PW, I think it is, or Joshua underscore Goodwin PW. I'll tell you what, should I look it up so we get it right? If you want, yeah, go ahead. Might be fun. <laughs> Might be fun to get it wrong. I think yeah. that was. At Joshua Goodwin PW. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So there you can follow Joshua Goodwin at Joshua Goodwin PW. Definitely do so. Hind him and harass him. And <laughs> Especially if you've got bookings, you can hang me and harass me for them. There you go. There you go. Get him in your company. Get him in your ring. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at NXT underscore rise and fall. Make sure you check us a follow there. Let us know what you're thinking about our early episodes, what you like, what you dislike, uh, any questions, any feedback, anything at all. Uh, we are also part of the SJP World Media Network, which you can find on Twitter and Facebook at SJP World Media. And by doing that, you'll come across the main feed for the network where all the shows have their new episodes chucked on. Every show has its own feed. So if you want to concentrate on one in particular, you can separate off and just listen to that. But the main feed has everything. The Doctor Who podcast, uh, back when with Scottish Danny and Tyler Peters, which has just started its first couple of episodes, which you know is, is, is fantastic. Really enjoy listening to that. Uh, check in at Power Palace, where me and my wife basically just ramble for half an hour and she mocks me and people laugh about it. Uh, <laughs> Chain Wrestling, Nitro Nights, RSH, In the Corner, The Nothingness Show, so much content now. That's all on the main feed at SJP World Media on Facebook, Twitter, and all of your podcast platforms, I guess. Uh, but yeah, at NXT underscore rise and fall for this show. I'm looking forward to next week for one simple reason, Josh. One simple reason. And for the first time, it's not because I get to sit down and look at your beautiful face and talk wrestling. It's Bray bloody Wyatt, my friend. Oh, yes. Can't wait. Bray Wyatt. Let's have it. Excellent stuff. Right, I will speak to you next week, bud. All right, see you then. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Give it all to me.